Thank you for downloading the Friday Night Comedy Podcast from Radio 4. To find out more, visit bbc.co.uk slash radio4. But not until you've enjoyed this week's news quiz. We present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. Quiz. We start with a cutting from the Amsterdam and the Hague Times, read by Harriet Cass. Bicycles that have been wrongly parked and therefore cut loose are transported to the Amsterdam Bicycle Pickup Centre in Westerlijk Havenkabite. That area is difficult to reach, especially for people without bicycles. <laughs> and our thanks to Dominic Peake for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Francis Ween and Carrie Quinlan. And opposite them on my left, Jeremy Hardy and Simon Evans. Right, Francis, we start with rather a serious question. Which law is in the dock this week? Oh, it's not Sharia law. Well, no, not in this particular question. It's the other law. It's the law lords have ruled that you can't arrest people merely for having bad thoughts or violent thoughts unless they act on it. It's actually an age-old English tradition. Um, Back in the 19th century, in about 1850, when Karl Marx was living here, the Prussian ambassador complained to the British government and said, we have reason to believe this chap Karl Marx is living in Soho and is discussing regicide. He was overheard talking to some people who were considering whether it would be a good idea to assassinate Queen Victoria. And the Foreign Secretary at the time, rather magnificently, wrote back to the Prussian government saying, in our country, the mere discussion of regicide, so long as there is no definite plan, does not constitute an offence, because we have free speech, unlike you absolute monarchies. And then gave this lofty lecture about what democracy was all about. But that's more or less the gist of it, isn't it, that Mm. uh, you can't be done for merely accessing interesting websites or writing poems. We all have dark thoughts, don't we? We all hear that voice that says, be terrible if you push that woman off the platform as the train came in. (laughs) (laughs) Never actually gone to a website, though, that discusses ways of pushing on women that catches them under the knees and is guaranteed to use the central gravity against them. No, you can't jail people for thinking things. I mean, I've wished things upon Davina McCall that I wouldn't wish on anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen the sign that says, drive through McDonald's, and I've thought, yeah, good idea. the trouble with a lot of this modern computer-based terrorism is it's, it's difficult for older people to get involved. <laughs> there are actually, uh, there are book versions as well. I think the Islamic version of the dangerous book for boys has some quite interesting <laughs> illustrations. <laughs> I'd happily lock up anyone who knowingly buys Richard Hammond's autobiography. <laughs> You'd let the ones go who unknowingly buy it, would you? They yeah. sound even more dangerous a... to me. <laughs> see this week that... I don't know how many of you can... Do you remember Patty Hurst? Yes, yeah. she's won oh, a dog a show doctor, in New York. Yes. With, oh, it's so sweet. Patty Hurst was... Um, if it, what was the, the quick su- summary of the story? It was, she was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army yeah. in about 1974, and they held her. And then she turned. It was Stockholm Syndrome, allegedly, which was coined in 1973 in a bank road in Stockholm. One of the many contributions of Scandinavia to the world is the phrase Stockholm Syndrome, <laughs> just in the nick of time, because then Patty Hearst went native and started robbing banks under the name Tanya and brandishing machine guns. And when she was arrested, eventually after a shootout, she said, I commit myself to the struggle and to my comrades. But now she's entering dog shows. Yes, this week she won um, Best of Breed. <laughs> in New York, a... I think, with a bulldog. And she's, she said she's not obsessed. 
But I find that hard to believe, given yeah. her history. But do you not think that it bodes well as a pattern for future terrorists? I, I wonder whether Osama bin Laden might be thinking, well, Shih Tzu, I think, is my... <laughs> <laughs> Two points to Francis. The Court of Appeal has quashed the convictions of five young Muslims for downloading extremist propaganda. And I have to say, I totally agree with this. It's entirely wrong to imprison someone just for their beliefs. And that's why Jeremy Clarkson is still walking the streets today. <laughs> Carrie, whose number has finally come up this week? Oh, uh, is this... Kids. Kids. The kids. Yeah. Children at school are going to be given numbers, mm. aged 14, that they're going to take with them through life. Because all the computer-based databases and things that the government have set up after the, over the last few years have been such a huge success, they're going to do another one. And it's kids at school being given numbers that they'll always have. With numbering these, children. Um, websites, all their data. Will yeah, be all their information, whether they've been expelled or <gasps> yeah. suspended at school, exam How many results, detentions they got. All of and that. it's going to be there for life. Forever. Forever and ever for future employers or anyone else to look up. Which, and when it's I going think to be of... tattooed on their left buttock as well, in case, <laughs> just so they can't steal someone else's identity and A-level results. Part of me thinks, though, that numbering children is quite a good idea. I know it, it would have worked for my parents. It was my mum's birthday a few weeks ago. We had a big party for her, and for some reason my dad decided that my siblings and I should wear name badges. <laughs> yeah, and awful. But despite that, my brother was introduced by my mother to some other people with the wrong name. Is it retrospective? Do we all have to have a number? Bags I number one. <laughs> There's only 58 well, was... million people in the country. Somebody will end up 58000000. I bags number one, because that sounds quite important. Well, that's it? the trick, because there was a bloke 20 years ago who changed his name by deed poll to Perry Six, the six being the actual numeral six, on the grounds that he thought this was going to come in and in his lifetime we'd all be given numbers instead of names, and he wanted one of the early numbers. And he wrote articles in The Independent and books and pamphlets. He worked for a think tank called Demos under the name Perry Six, and he couldn't understand why everyone laughed at him. And he then quietly changed well, back. Perry is a ridiculous name. Well, it's it? also... <laughs> Children's unique numerical tag or something it's called, isn't it? I can't remember. There's, it's, I want to know, is it going to be, is it going to be <laughs> imposed, as you say, retrospectively? I mean, are they going to find out what I've been telling people about my O-level results all these years? Is a lot of poppycock. No, no, you're and am right. I going to be thrown off the panel as a result? That's what I want to know. No, I've no. got a B in English and it's my first language. <laughs> Uh, 14-year-old children in England are to be issued with their own unique learner number. A unique number? I thought that was called a national insurance number. Um, And have their personal details and exam results placed on an electronic database. The database will include a tamper-proof CV. (laughs) (laughs) If we'd had those in our day, not one of us would be here. Um, (laughs) Two points to Carrie. Jeremy, who had a bit of trouble with the law? It's Sharia law. It is Sharia law. Sharia. Um, well, the Archbishop was making his speech, presumably. He waited just until we walked into the studio last week and the doors were shut and then made a speech. So we missed him on Friday. But I thought, well, you know, I ought to really find out what he's actually saying. So I read the speech and I'm none the wiser. I think maybe he's better live, you know. <laughs> I think the material's not up to much, but maybe you get swept up with the whole atmosphere, the charisma, you know. <laughs> the euphoria and ecstasy and people start speaking in tongues and falling down and then it all kind of kicks in and you kind of go with it but on the page it's very dry it's not really half of it it's in french it actually yeah, is, yeah. it's the only speech i've ever read which has footnotes within the speech I mean, this is meant to be a popular speech he's delivering and he'll pause to say 
as uh, Thierry Masson and so and so have written in the journal de such and such, and they've been in several sentences in French. It's very note. dry. It's not clear what he seems to be saying. The things that we are already doing are things that we might possibly should be doing in the future, which is that occasionally some bits of civil and matrimonial law are decided by religious courts. You know, a lot of the country was last weekend trying to find out what Sharia law actually meant, and all the women were appalled and all the men pleasantly surprised. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, but it's, it's not really terribly clear what he's saying, you know. Um, but the thing is that he's just sort of lit this fire and walked away. I wanted to provoke a debate, which is a bit like saying I threw a petrol bomb because I wanted to hear what it sounded like. <laughs> He said, I am responsible for any unclarity. Yeah. Unclarity? <laughs> unclarity is his middle name. This is a man who, even when he's saying he's responsible for the unclarity, has to invent a new word just to make it more no, complicated. No, I've checked it. It exists. It's an ancient word. It Un- hasn't been used since 1738. He used it pointedly, didn't he? He used it to show that people would go, that's not a word, and look it up, and then they, he could say it was. And that's so kind be, of typical so of his whole what approach to Sky News, um, Anna Botting, I think she's called the presenter on Sky News, yeah. said that the Archbishop of Canterbury had done this thing to sit and said, yes, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> Which actually was not far off, really. It's it's much-loved, accident-prone, bungling chump. The support for him from the uh, Anglican communion was, was not entirely fulsome. The Bishop of Southwark said, oh, well, I don't think he's talking about chopping people's hands off. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, I studied law at university pointlessly, and you can check this on my uh, unique learner number when you get home, but <laughs> didn't do terribly well. But you, you go into it thinking it's all about chopping hands off and flogging and stoning and so on, and you find out that there, most of it is to do with property law, and I'm sure that's the thing with Sharia law as well. It will mostly be the boring it's stuff. mortgages, isn't it? Yeah, you can't right, charge yeah. interest on a Muslim mortgage. Mm. It's, it's actually very dry, but what you do is the building society buys your house and then rents it to you. Because, you know, it's all, all those money things have always got round. It's like if you're a Christian, you can't be rich, theoretically. It's easier for a rich man to enter a camel than pass a needle. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a man who's tried both. <laughs> <laughs> the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, caused a media storm when he suggested that adopting aspects of Sharia law in the UK seems unavoidable. Dr Williams said we have to face up to the fact that some citizens do not relate to the British legal system. Burglars, for example. <laughs> Simon, who's over here and undertaxed? The non-doms. Non-doms. They are um, the super-rich, which is a term which has very quickly become part of the everyday vocabulary of Fleet Street, and these are enormously wealthy people who, due to a loophole which I still don't quite understand, are allowed to live here but claim the Cayman Islands as their domicile, which is a, a new concept, which means they don't have to pay any tax to live here. It's a really tricky one, because in economic terms, it is true that by having the super-rich in this country, we do better than if we tax them and they just take their money elsewhere. But it has been proven in countless interesting university-based psychological tests that people don't give a damn about money. What they want to see is the wealthy pay. They want to see them suffer to some extent. But I didn't understand it, because it said, if the non-doms... so horrible, isn't it? Mm. It's a non-dom. Rhyming slang. You could yes. write a rom-com about a non-dom. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like they might be available ribbed or flavoured or something. Um... <laughs> I have a theory about it. I think it's fair enough. If they don't want to pay tax, but they want to live here, that's fine. But they should wear something like a big flashing hat or something so that everyone knows they're not paying tax, and if a policeman sees them being mugged, he can think... Well, he can use that information to judge just how urgent the case is, given that his... Moving For on. tax purposes, I died in 1985. <laughs> I was at that gig. <laughs> if a 
condom goes to prison, does it become a condom? <laughs> Chancellor Alistair Darling wants wealthy foreigners or resident in the UK or non-doms to pay a flat tax of £30,000. <laughs> Ridiculous idea, why should we? Um, <laughs> at the end of round one, the scores are Francis and Carrie have got four points, but so have Simon and Jeremy. start round two with a notice from the Highgate Newtown Community Centre. Most Wednesdays we organise minibus trips for older people who like to get out. Most trips are to local markets or shopping centres. But once a month they include a place of interest. (laughs) Now thanks to David Drake for spotting that. Carrie, who can now demonstrate that they've had their gag removed? Gag removed? Yeah. It's uh, permitted to demonstrate if you've had your gag removed. I don't know how to make this um, any clearer to you. Do you like Chinese food? And <laughs> <laughs> be very Olympic Games. Oh yes, that. It's the Olympic Games, I believe, <laughs> Sandy. Thank you. Sport England or, or someone or Sport UK um, banned or was going to ban Olympic athletes from from speaking out against China during the Olympics, and there was a big hoo-ha about this, and the British badminton champion decided to speak out and say that China should get more involved in Darfur. To be honest, I, th- I think China were, are probably running scared that the British badminton champion... Um, his name is what's his you. name? Oh. Yeah, uh, has sort of stuck his head above the parapet about this. But they then took it back, and then Steven Spielberg has weighed in. It's interesting, though, that the Spielberg thing in particular, China is well known for doing ghastly things and having an appalling human rights record and supporting dreadful governments in Burma and, and Sudan. Have and you got tickets for the Games? Not, or? Yeah. No, OK. <laughs> but, no, but there was not a peep. And then Mia Farrow rang Steven Spielberg up and said, you need to speak out about this. And he immediately did, which made me think, how frightening is Mia Farrow? <laughs> I did say that um, the British Olympic Association is accused of pandering to the Chinese. <laughs> and, it, of course, it's the same week that there's this whole Dwayne Chambers. Oh, see, now that was going to be my supplementary question, so you can have an extra point oh, for guessing what it was going to be. Super. Yeah? Because you know, Dwayne Chambers had a two-year ban for taking steroids, and it's the end of the two-year ban, and he's running again, and everyone seems terribly shocked and appalled. But surely that's what a two-year ban is. Mm. You're not allowed for two years, and then you can. Why is it such a big deal, people taking drugs in sport? It's not important. It's basically running, you know. What does it matter? I think they should be allowed to bring bikes and cars and things. (laughs) I mean, really. I mean, it's it's not based on some sort of natural justice. It's about, oh, the one that runs fastest is the best. What kind of puerile mentality is that? It's like basketball. The tallest team wins. Why don't they just measure them and cut the game out? (laughs) does me in is you can never tell how fast they are because you've got it against a clock but I I swear if you just watched uh, some rough average amateur athletics sprint just at a county level it would still look pretty fast to you I think I think they should have in every race there should be just a bloke selected at random out of the crowd who has to join in you you know (laughs) you would have seven world class sprinters and me and then you would get a sense of how fast they are British Olympians will not now be prevented from joining human rights demonstrations in China after a previous draft of their contracts threatened to silence them. I just say, I'm not sure I want to hear a lecture on human rights from a pole vaulter. Then again, you know that joke. What's a man walking down the street with a great big long pole? 
But he says, you're a pole vaulter. He says, no, I'm German. How do you know my name's Volta? <laughs> <laughs> They're looking for stand-up at Beijing. I don't know if you're available. <laughs> I re- flatly refuse to take part in this Olympics on principled grounds. Because you were one of our medal hopes as well. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I quite like that beach volleyball thing. I quite enjoy well, that. They've, they've cancelled that for the London Olympics, haven't they? They were going to do a small squads parade. Hall. Yes, or house squads. Yes, I, that's the only thing I was going to book for. Well, they've cancelled it. Really? Well, it's not going to be in horse cards anymore, no. Because I, I think it was Tony Blair's thing. He wanted to look out of Downing Street or somewhere and ogle these beach volleyballers, but as he's not Prime Minister anymore, it's been stopped. Does Gordon not like to ogle? No, he doesn't. He likes to... Um, he dribbles. He likes to watch. He watches the X Factor on telly instead. That's all he does. Please tell me that's not true. That is true. <sighs> right. Oh, I was looking forward to the beach thing. Anyway. I think it would have been fun had they not cleaned up after the horses before they actually played beach volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, uh, variety might not be the spice of life for much longer for which industry? Is it curry houses? It is curry houses. This is a disgrace. Because yes. insufficient numbers of Bangladeshis, or hardly, virtually no Bangladeshis are now allowed into the country, our curry houses are facing collapse because they can't recruit the workers. And people are being very glib about this. People say, well, can't the Poles do it? Aren't different cultures interchangeable? <laughs> and uh, we haven't got enough Bangladeshis, which means we are, uh, our national, you know, what has become our national dish curry is under threat. It says in the rules that unskilled workers can't come in if they're not EU. I'm, I slightly worry about the fact that we live in a country in which catering work is considered unskilled work. But there you go. It's <laughs> a comment on us. But basically, we've completely betrayed our former colonies in hurling ourselves into Europe. And uh, we've just behaved like a horrible old emperor, saying, I tire of your cardamoms. Leave me. Leave me. I need no fenugreek. Leave me. There was a, an interview in The Guardian with a, a guy who runs a curry house in Epsom, who said that, you know, the problem is that, that most great Indian chefs uh, speak the language of food, or possibly Hindi. <laughs> the very first Indian restaurant was called the Hindustani Coffee House. It was in Portman Square, and it was opened by the man who invented shampoo. I know. Is there a link? Could have been invented shampoo. Well, um, he was the very first person to bring shampoo to this uh, country. I didn't know what they did before. Real poo. Britain's curry houses are under threat as immigration rules now favour immigrants from Eastern Europe. People coming over here, take the jobs of other people who've already come over here. Um, And discriminating against immigrants from places like Bangladesh. And to top it all, there is a worldwide shortage of rice. Due to rapidly declining stocks, the cost of rice has risen 60% year on year, and regrettably, we have been forced to pass this increase on to consumers, uh, said a spokesperson for British Gas. <laughs> Simon, what got lost in the fog on the Tyne? Some money got yes. lost. It's been a really hard year for Newcastle so far, hasn't it? That was where the two CDs were lost with everybody's name on. That was where Northern Rock grew up and then collapsed. Kevin Keegan came to rescue their football team and failed. And now two and a half million quid, roughly, which was supposed to be given to Newcastle for having attracted new enterprise or something of that sort. To Newcastle upon Tyne. To Newcastle, I should say, to most people's ears, probably when you think of Newcastle. But there is another Newcastle, uh, which you'll remember, called Newcastle under Lyme, which is near on Trent, and due to a clerical error, they got Newcastle upon Tyne's money. <laughs> they would send the money, and then uh, they said, "No, hang on, we've sent this to the wrong one." They've, you know, mouse click, and, and uh, it's all gone haywire. And this is why you should never buy a house on eBay. But anyway, that's um, 
I do love the, I love the response, though, that the department got in touch with Newcastle under Lyme and said, can we have the money back? And they go, nah, spent it. <laughs> the phrase they actually used was, it was received in good faith. <laughs> well, of course it was received in good faith. <laughs> I've but been to Newcastle under Lyme. I had a gig there before Christmas. I thought the sandwiches were rather lavish in the dressing room. <laughs> I change my name to Manchester City Council, I might suddenly have a windfall. <laughs> Nearly three million pounds in grants meant for Newcastle upon Tyne were mistakenly given to Newcastle under Lyme by bungling Whitehall officials. There's a phrase you don't hear every day. <laughs> At the end of round two, Simon and Jeremy have got eight points, but Francis and Carrie have gone into the lead with nine. Before we start round three, here is a baffling link on the Telegraph website. Does Britain have a moral duty to spread democracy? Ask Will Carling. (laughs) And our thanks to Justin Whiteley from Donegal for sending us that. Francis, which man's foreign accent caused a debacle? A a man? man. It's not a proper man. It's It's a man. Mr. Rude. Mr. Rude. Do you know about Mr. Rude? It's the new Mr. Men. Yes, I get no point. Oh, no, no, I can't. I, I don't know who Mr. Men are. They're oh. written, they're written, no, I, read, I read the books when my children were small. And so I said read. I mean, are. you don't know because you can't read them. They're nonsense. They're by someone called Roger Hargreaves. They're tosh. <laughs> they are children's books, Francis. Oh, it's quite, yes, quite right. I just didn't think they had the real, you know, the gripping quality the that one expects from... Um, <laughs> I bet you but, bought The Hungry Caterpillar and said, there's a bloody hole in this book. <laughs> Taking it back. Our <laughs> Greaves' biography of Marx is ludicrously superficial. <laughs> there's a... Channel 5 are doing Mr Men adaptations, much like bridge. Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice adaptations. <laughs> and there are new characters, and one of them is called Mr Rude, mm. and he's French. <laughs> um, there's a game you can play... Okay, now I wanted to try and recreate this for our audience if you haven't had a chance to go on the Mr. Men website today, <laughs> which I do recommend to you. So, for the purposes of this, if you go on to the Mr. Men website, I'm going to get Harriet to play Mr. Rude here. Okay, so Harriet, if you, this is how he looks exactly. Um, <laughs> curiously good impersonation, actually. His hands spread out like this, so you see him like that, and then this is what you hear. Go ahead, kid. Pull my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and then you pull one of Mr. Rude's fingers. Uh, pardon me. Uh, and you can pull all the fingers. Oh, don't seem so surprised. <laughs> Mr. Rude! Well, you pulled it. And flatulent. Now, <laughs> sounds great. This. <laughs> That's comedy. Since when is the British stereotype about the French that they're flatulent? <laughs> it's not as though we're lacking in detail about our stereotype. We've got the onions, the beret, the bicycle. I mean, and of course, French do smell a bit of garlic. <laughs> Capitulation is a hard concept to get over in a children's book, though, isn't it? <laughs> but apparently, Mr. Strong is now um, triangular. That's the thing I object to. That's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, Mr. Strong's triangular. Because he was a square, wasn't he? He was. Very Is much it a V-shaped so. torso? Why would he be any other shape? He's Mr. Strong. What shape triangle is he? Pointy up or pointy down? 
you know there are moments on this show when I have no idea where we've gone? <laughs> I admit I started it by making Harriet be Mr. Rude in the first place, but I... <laughs> The new series of The Mr. Men will feature a character called Mr. Rude, who speaks with a French accent. A source at the French embassy said it's obviously meant in a light-hearted way, but it won't improve Anglo-French relations. So, <laughs> Simon, which amphibian has reached a crossroads? Oh, toad crossing. Toad. toad crossing. Yes, there are some people in Hampshire who have been drafted in to enable toads safely to cross the road. I think this happens every year. I'm sure this story crops up every year. Somewhere or other, there are toads crossing the road and getting squished, and they are protecting these toads which are crossing the road in order to breed. I don't well, know what... It's, no, it's got... What's it? I think it's something like 20 tonnes of toads are now squashed by cars every year on the road. Somebody weighs these. Across. It, it's, <laughs> I think and they are, all, they are in, they're in so endangered now. And, but the toad crossings are sweet. They have chaps with buckets. The toad patrol is to save them. It should be a series, shouldn't it? Toad patrol with David yes. Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> you would want to see these people in red bikinis. Diving <laughs> under passing trucks that might be killing this poor little toad. It'd be a bit like getting dropped off at the school disco by your parents, though, isn't it? <laughs> Getting ready to, you know, cop off, and you get dropped off in a bucket <laughs> by someone responsible. It's not as cool as dodging traffic. Delicious. Do you think they say encouraging little things as they tip them out the bucket? Well, I'll leave you young toads to get acquainted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, <laughs> The toad is in danger. Campaigners have appealed to volunteers to help amorous toads. <laughs> What's happened to this country? Across busy roads across the country, hundreds of toads are killed by cars as they awake from hibernation and head straight to a pond to mate. Good Lord, they never heard of hotels. <laughs> Before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along, Mr Ween. Sandy, this isn't actually a cutting as such, but it's none the worse it's topical. It comes from a check called Alan Donovan, a package from Marks & Spencer, and it's labelled... Two fresh strawberry tarts, and there's a sticker saying, perfect for Valentine's Day, and just under a sticker saying, used by 11th of February. <laughs> Carrie, this is from a flyer in the Newbury Advertiser. Lambing day at Sheep Drove, Sunday 16th of March. Don't miss this fun day out on the farm. Our early lambing flock have begun lambing inside, so there'll be plenty of baby lambs to visit in and around our sheep shed. Why not pre-order your meat box ready to collect on the day? <laughs> Jeremy. Sandy, this was sent in by Newland McEwen in, from Dublin, and it's from the Irish Times from last Saturday. And it says, a 17-year-old boy who drove a stolen car at 160 kilometres per hour and nearly caused several motor collisions has been given a six-month suspended sentence and disqualified from driving for two years. The team had asked not to be given a road ban because he wanted to become a taxi driver. <laughs> Simon. Uh, this is a heartwarming story of an elderly person putting up a good fight from Valerie Jones from the Leicester Mercury. The headline is Betty, 77, Fights Off Thief. The burglar said some rubbish about he was security. I said, no, you're not, you're a burglar. He tried to push past me into the front room, but I wasn't having that, and I grabbed him and swung him out. I then reached for my pickaxe handle... <laughs> chased him but he was younger and much quicker than me and he climbed out the same window he broke in through he must have got to my purse because 30 quid was missing he also stole my grey woody hat because he was wearing it as he made off <laughs> right so let's take a look at the final score Simon and Jeremy have got 13 points but this week's winners are Francis and Carrie with 14 14 <laughs>
before we leave you, here's a cutting from a GCSE Religious Studies Revision Guide sent in by James Simpson. Being confirmed would likely support your belief, as you would learn more about God in the confirmation lessons, and probably have a religious experience when the bishop lays his hands upon you. <laughs> and with that, goodbye. Taking part in the news quiz were Francis Ween, Carrie Quinlan, Jeremy Hardy and Simon Evans. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Harriet Cass. The chair's script was written by Simon Littlefield, Stephen Carlin and James Sherwood. And the producer was Ed Morrish. listen again to any of our comedies on Radio 4, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 4 slash comedy.